We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Godspeed, John Glenn. Roger, zero G, and I feel fine. Get my feet up. Okay, I'm out. How does it feel for the United States to be the new record holder? At last, huh? When that baby lights, there's no doubt about it. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. That's one small step for man. Hello and welcome. This is Michael Annis, and you're listening to episode 108 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. And now, the Mode Decision, Part 3. Recapping from episode 107, I covered Langley's three minimalist lunar landers, the Small Economy Lander, the Economy Lander, and the Plush Lander. As time progressed, there was a growing disenchantment with the direct flight mode due to the requirement to land the Apollo spacecraft on the moon and the extra time required to develop the Nova, which would likely delay the moon landing into the 1970s. Two camps formed around the mode decision. Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville believed in Earth orbit rendezvous, and the Manned Space Flight Center in Houston believed in Lunar Orbit Rendezvous. The Deputy Director of Manned Space Flight, Joseph Shea, was directed to review the mode issue and recommend the best approach, and to use this task to draw Huntsville and Houston together building a more unified NASA with greater internal strength. Shea, having promised Holmes a preliminary report on the mode by mid-June, increased the pressure on the field centers to continue their research for the coordination meetings. On May 25th, Holmes asked the directors of the three manned spaceflight centers to submit cost and schedule estimates for each of the approaches under consideration. Shea began collecting his material for final review, although there was still no agreement between Huntsville and Houston. Despite Frick's road show, the Marshall Center persisted in its preference for Earth orbit rendezvous. The mode of comparison meetings had obviously been less than successful in bringing the two opponents together. At this point, Shea was convinced that either Earth Orbit Rendezvous or Lunar Orbit Rendezvous could be done. He just wanted to make sure that the best way was selected. Holmes and Shea, in addition to deciding on the best approach, were still determined to settle for nothing short of unanimity. They scheduled yet another series of meetings at each center in which they asked Houston and Huntsville to summarize their studies and draw conclusions. They did this so everyone would feel like a real part of the technical decision-making process. Shortly before these summary meetings in May and June of 1962, more evidence supporting lunar orbit rendezvous was found, and Shea and Holmes became convinced that this was indeed the best approach. But if they were to have harmony within their organization, Marshall must be won over. 
Holmes asked Shay to discuss lunar orbit rendezvous in depth with von Braun and to explore his reaction to the crimp this mode would put in Marshall's share of Apollo. Since lunar rendezvous would require fewer boosters than the Earth orbit mode, and since Marshall would have no part in developing docking hardware and rendezvous techniques, the Huntsville role would diminish considerably. Also, with the Nova prospects definitely on the wane, Marshall's long-term future seemed uncertain. For some time, von Braun and his colleagues had wanted to broaden the scope of their space activities, and Holmes knew it. He and Shea decided that this was the time to offer von Braun a share of future projects, including payloads, to balance the workload between Houston and Huntsville. About the middle of May, von Braun visited Washington, and Shea told him that lunar rendezvous appeared to be shaping up as the best method. Conceding that it might well be the wise choice, the Marshall Director again expressed concern for the future of his people. Shea acknowledged that Marshall would lose a good deal of work if NASA adopted lunar rendezvous, but he reminded von Braun that Houston would be very loaded with both the command and service modules and the lunar excursion module. So it made sense for Marshall to start getting involved in the lunar base and the roving vehicle and some of the other spacecraft equipment. Von Braun kind of tucked that in the back of his mind and returned to Huntsville. Huntsville was not the only center that faced a loss of business if lunar orbit rendezvous were chosen. Lewis would also be left standing at the gate since that mode would eliminate the need for the lunar crasher. The Cleveland group did hope to capitalize on liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen technology for other pieces of the Saturn propulsion requirements, although this, of course, would mean a contest with Marshall. The Management Council met in Huntsville on May 29th, two weeks after the confidential talk between Shea and von Braun. Perhaps in compliance with his implied promise to the Marshall director, Shea opened the subject of an unmanned logistics vehicle to deposit supplies on the moon, increasing the time that a manned spacecraft could remain on the lunar surface. But George Lowe warned that developing a logistics vehicle should not be a prerequisite to a manned lunar landing, and Houston questioned the usefulness of an unmanned supply craft because of the reliability problems of unmanned vehicles and the doubt that supplies previously deposited on the moon could be effectively used. And Gilruth men argued that any such vehicle should not simply be an Apollo lunar excursion vehicle modified for unmanned operation. The best approach would be a semi-soft lander similar to the unmanned spacecraft like Surveyor. And Gilruth's engineers were quick to point out that logistic support could be obtained by attaching a mission module to a manned lunar module since the Saturn C-5 should eventually be
be able to handle an additional 1,600 kilograms of supplies and equipment. So that idea went over like a lead balloon. After a short break, Shay's special meetings on the center's mode studies resumed in early June. By far, the most significant was an all-day affair at Marshall on June 7th, where von Braun's lieutenants cataloged the latest results of their research. The tone of everything throughout the day in presentation by his people was very pro-Earth Orbit Rendezvous. At the end, after six hours of discussion on Earth Orbit Rendezvous, von Braun dropped a bomb that, as far as internal arguments in NASA were concerned, effectively laid the Apollo mode issue to rest. To the dismay of his staff, von Braun got up and in about a 15-minute talk that he had handwritten during the meeting, stated that it was the position of his center to support Lunar Orbit Rendezvous. Von Braun told his startled audience, quote, Our general conclusion is that all four modes are technically feasible and could be implemented with enough time and money. He then listed Marshall's preferences. First, Lunar Orbit Rendezvous, with a recommendation to make up for its limited growth potential to begin simultaneous development of an unmanned, fully automatic, one-way C-5 logistics vehicle. Two, Earth Orbit Rendezvous, using the refueling technique. Three, direct flight with a C-5 employing a lightweight spacecraft and high-energy return propellants. And four, direct flight with a Nova or a Saturn C-8. Von Braun continued, quote, I would like to reiterate once more that it is absolutely mandatory that we arrive at a definite mode decision within the next few weeks. If we do not make a clear-cut decision on the mode issue very soon, our chances of accomplishing the first lunar expedition in this decade will fade away rapidly. The Marshal Chief then explained his change of heart. Lunar Rendezvous, he had come to realize, offered the best confidence factor of successful accomplishment within this decade. He supported Houston's contention that designing the Apollo re-entry vehicle and the lunar landing craft were the most critical task in achieving the lunar landing. A drastic separation of these two functions into two separate elements is bound to greatly simplify the development of the spacecraft system and result in a very substantial savings of time. Von Braun continued, Moreover, Lunar Orbit Rendezvous would offer the cleanest managerial interfaces, meaning that it would reduce the amount of technical coordination required between the centers and their respective contractors, a major concern in any complex program. Apollo already had a frightening number of these interfaces since it took the combined effort of many companies to form a single vehicle. And finally, this mode would least disrupt other elements of the program, especially booster development, 
existing contract structures, and the facilities already under construction. We readily admit that when first exposed to the proposal of lunar orbit rendezvous mode, we were a bit skeptical. We understand that the Manned Spacecraft Center was also quite skeptical at first, when John Hobalt of Langley advanced the proposal, and it took quite a while to substantiate the feasibility of the method and finally endorse it. Against this background, it can therefore be concluded that the issue of invented here versus not invented here does not apply to either the Manned Spacecraft Center or the Marshall Space Flight Center, that both centers have actually embraced a scheme suggested by a third source. Without a doubt, personnel of the Manned Spacecraft Center and Marshall Space Flight Center have by now conducted more detailed studies on all aspects of the four modes than any other group. Moreover, it is these two centers to which the Office of Manned Spaceflight will ultimately have to look to to deliver the goods. I consider it fortunate indeed that both centers, after much soul-searching, have come to identical conclusions. This should give the Office of Manned Spaceflight some additional assurance that our recommendations should not be far from the truth. End quote. Von Braun's pronouncement in favor of lunar orbit rendezvous, thus aligning his center with Gilroofs in Houston, signaled the accord that Holmes and Shea had so meticulously cultivated. Von Braun's conversion brought the two centers closer together, paving the way for effective cooperation. Shea called it a major element in the consolidation of NASA. Thereafter, ratification of the mode question, the formal decision-making process and review by top management followed almost as a matter of course. The Office of Systems began compiling information from the field center studies, adding the result of its own mode investigations. Shea, and his staff also listened to briefings from several aerospace companies who had studied lunar rendezvous and the mission operations and hardware requirements for the approach. These firms, among them Douglas and a team from Grumman and RCA, believed that such work might enhance their chances of securing the additional hardware contracts that would follow a shift to lunar rendezvous. Shea's staff then compared the contending modes and prepared cost and schedule estimates for each. It appeared that Lunar Orbit Rendezvous should cost almost $1.5 billion less than either Earth Orbit Rendezvous or direct flight and would permit lunar landings six to eight months sooner. The Office of Systems issued the final version of the mode comparison at the end of July. This was the foundation upon which Holmes would defend his choice. Comparison of the modes revealed no significant technical problems. Any of the modes could be developed with sufficient time and money, as von Braun had said. 
but there was a definite preferential ranking. Lunar Rendezvous employing a single Saturn C5 was the most advantageous since it also permitted the use of a separate craft designed solely for lunar landing. In contrast with Earth Rendezvous with Saturn C5s had the least assurance of mission success and the greatest development complexity of all the modes. Direct flight with the Nova afforded greater mission capability but demanded development of launch vehicles far larger than the C-5. A scaled-down two-man C-5 direct flight offered minimal performance margins and portended the greatest problems with equipment, accessibility, and checkout. Therefore, Lunar Orbit Rendezvous mode was recommended as most suitable for the manned lunar landing mission. On June 22nd, Shea and Holmes presented their findings to the Management Council. After extended discussions, the Council unanimously agreed that Lunar Orbit Rendezvous was the best mode. To underscore the solidarity within the Manned Spaceflight Organization, all of the members decided to attend when Administrator Webb was briefed on the mode selection. First, however, Holmes and Shea informed Siemens of the decision. Of course, Siemens was already convinced that Lunar Orbit Rendezvous was the best mode, and to his credit, Associate Administrator Siemens refused to force Lunar Orbit Rendezvous upon the field organizations, even though he had long thought that Lunar Rendezvous was preferable. Instead, he allowed the field centers to come up with their own conclusions. On June 28, Webb listened to the briefings and to the recommendations of the Management Council. He agreed with what was said, but wanted Dryden, who was in the hospital, to take part in the final decision. That night, Siemens, Holmes, and Shea called on Dryden in the hospital. Dryden had opposed Lunar Rendezvous because of the risk he believed it entailed, but he, too, liked the unanimity within the Council and within NASA and gave Lunar Orbit Rendezvous his blessing. Although acceptance of Lunar Rendezvous by the agency came before the end of June 1962, it was not announced until the second week in July. The delay was caused by outside pressure. The President's Science Advisory Committee, headed by Jeremy Weisner had developed an interest in NASA launch vehicle planning and the mode selection for Apollo. Weisner had formed a special group, the Space Vehicle Panel, to keep an eye on NASA's doings, and Nicholas Golovin, no longer with NASA, worked closely with this panel. Weisner hired Golovin for the President's Science Advisory Committee because of his familiarity with the internal workings of NASA and his knowledge of the country's space programs, both military and civilian. Golovin led a persistent and intensive review of Apollo planning that caused considerable turmoil within the agency and forced it into an almost interminable defense of its decision to use Lunar Rendezvous. Concurrently with Shea's drive for field center agreement, 
the President's Science Advisory Committee panel was holding meetings in Huntsville and Houston demanding that the two centers justify their stand on lunar orbit rendezvous. The panel then insisted on meeting with Shea and his staff in Washington for further discussions. In a memorandum on July 10th approved by both Webb and Dryden, Siemens officially informed Holmes that the decision on the Apollo mode had been approved. The Rubicon was crossed. Apollo was to proceed with Lunar Rendezvous. Immediate development of both the Saturn C-1B and Lunar Excursion Vehicle was also approved. Siemens added that as a backup plan, in case something went wrong with Lunar Orbit Rendezvous, two studies would be undertaken, one to determine the feasibility of Earth Orbit Rendezvous using the C-5, and a second study for a two-man capsule designed, if possible, for direct ascent. Finally, on July 11, 1962, Webb, Siemens, Holmes, and Shea announced the selection of Lunar Orbit Rendezvous for Apollo at a news conference. Webb, perhaps as a concession to Wisner, warned that the decision was still only tentative. During the forthcoming months, he added, the agency would solicit proposals for the lunar landing module from industry and would study them carefully before making a final decision. In the meantime, studies of other approaches would continue. Holmes, however, struck a more definite note on the finality of the decision. He said, quote, Anything so complex, so expensive as Apollo had to be studied at length. However, there is a balance between studying a program and finally implementing it. There comes a point in time, and I think the point in time is now, when one must make a decision as to how to proceed, at least as the prime mode. End quote. Webb concluded the press briefing saying, quote, We have studied the various possibilities for the earliest, safest mission and have considered also the capability of these various modes for giving us an increased total space capability. We find that by adding one vehicle to those already under development, namely the Lunar Excursion Vehicle, we have an excellent opportunity to accomplish this mission with a shorter time span, with a savings of money, and with equal safety to any other modes. End quote. Early the next morning, Holmes and Shea appeared before the House Committee on Science and Astronautics to explain NASA's seemingly abrupt abandonment of Earth orbit rendezvous. Holmes said, quote, it was quite apparent last fall this mission mode really had not been studied in enough depth to commit the tremendous resources involved, financial and technical, for the periods involved without making detailed system engineering studies to a much greater extent than had been possible previously. Nor had there been any agreement within the agency on any approach. Further studies was necessary for that reason, 
as well, but investigations could go on forever. At some point, one must make a decision and say, now we go. It has been really impossible for us to truly program manage Apollo until this primary mode decision had been made. Although several modes were workable, Lunar Orbit Rendezvous was the most favorable one for us to undertake today. Equally important was the new rapport that had been achieved within the Manned Space Flight Organization to get the whole team pulling together, end quote. Essentially, Holmes told an American Rocket Society audience a week later, quote, We have liftoff and are on our way, end quote. But the President's Science Advisory Committee challenge to NASA's choice still had to be dealt with before the decision became irreversible. While fending off this outside pressure, NASA had to keep North American moving on the command and service modules, watch MIT's work on the navigation and guidance system, and find a contractor for the lunar landing module. Thanks for listening to this archive episode of the Space Rocket History Podcast. If you are financially able, please support the podcast by going to the homepage spacerockethistory.com and clicking on the orange donate button or the Patreon link. Thanks.